Uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, where are we seeing that? We're seeing that at the knee. We're seeing that, you know, uh, Achilles tendon issues. Uh, and so, you know, where can we throw an ISO hold and, and roll through that is, is, you know, calf ray, uh, different, different calf raise variations or, or something like a leg extension or a single leg squat hold or a wall supported squat hold bilateral, something like that. Um, where we're challenging a quad so different different things for sure I don't want to you know sit here and say it's like oh we're, we're a calf raise leg extension uh, program here but mm -hmm. um, you know it, again it's just looking at the thing that 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 works in our population hopefully that was NBA strength coach Chris Chase talking about how he loads critical injury risk areas using exercises off of his trainable menu you're listening to the just fly performance podcast Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments allowing me to look at the 10-meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none, Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. And on the show today, we have Chris Chase, Director of Performance for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, when it comes to working with pro sports, um, through the blessing of doing this podcast, uh, just talking with coaches in the industry, uh, interns who have moved on and are working in the pro sports uh, ranks, it's really amazing to hear the difference between um, working with pro sports and even on the college level. I mean, obviously, there's going to be a huge difference between like the middle school, high school level and, and the upper levels. But uh, just how, how the game changes and how all the tools in the toolbox are used and manipulated to keep these players healthy for these long seasons with tons of travel. Um, it's really it's really an interesting area. I, I was just listening to uh, the, the Tim Ferriss show with LeBron James and, and his trainer and, and just everything that goes into that. It's crazy, uh, but it's, it's fascinating. It's awesome to learn about. And so I'm super stoked to have Chris on the show today. Uh, he has previously served in the collegiate ranks, and he's had a few stops on the pro sector. He's also been an SNC coach for the Atlanta Hawks. And before that, he was at the University of Southern California and then the University of Rhode Island. And so one of the things that I was really excited to dig in uh, with Chris today is his trainable menu and then how he utilizes principles of the Postural Restoration Institute, or PRI, in just his exercise selection. How are you choosing to load your players throughout the course of the season in a way that benefits them and not what you're expecting as the coach, what your ego demands as the coach, but fitting the program to fit the players. So super cool talk today. Um, Chris has been a guy in, in other podcasts I've had a huge respect for. Uh, his intelligence, the selection and thought process that goes into his system. So uh, this is a super cool episode. On this one, we are going to talk about his go-to training methods and means for keeping his NBA players as healthy as possible while minimizing risk. Um, as you heard in the teaser, there may be talk of some using some machines. Oh, it's a crazy one, right? Like <laughs> uh, the old calf raise and, and leg, leg extension machine. Like where does that fit in? Like I just think it's awesome to say here's like no tool is off the table, right? We, we tend to just uh, just say like, okay, you know, you got to deep squat and you got to do these things. And if you don't do that, it's not a, you know, it's not a real strength program, but uh, Chris just does a really cool job of adapting the program to the athletes, to the needs of his population. So uh, we're also going to 
We're also gonna get into uh, jump testing, what kind of jump testing Chris uses for NBA players and the demands of the game. Uh, he's gonna go through his specific squatting progression and how we, he will choose to load his players in the squat. So especially when you're talking six, eight guys, seven footers, what are you looking for there? And he's also gonna dig into, and this could have been a huge rabbit hole, we just touched on, touched on it at the end for a little bit, but his speed and movement development for his NBA populations and then some common causes of movement-related injury in the basketball population that he tries to mitigate. So a cool peek into the eyes of an NBA strength and conditioning coach who has awesome education, knowledge, and experience. Let's get to it, episode 127 with Chris Chase. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, yeah. Well, well here we go. Uh, all right. So, Chris, let's uh, let's let's do this first question here. Uh, what's um, and we just talked about this here a bit before uh, we push play, so to speak. But your your take on the role of a pro a pro strength coach versus one working in the college, high school, or developmental ranks? How do things change once you get up in that that air of level of athlete, and then just the the I don't know what I'm trying to say, like the, the, the structure of things up there. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, I think the if you say role, uh, I would say that it's similar, right? Like, you know, I, I always believe that, you know, you're still providing the same service uh, at the same level. Um, I think, you know, when I'm listening to that question, maybe I, my first inkling is to say, okay, if I'm a college SNC, then I have academics to deal with. I have the, the school schedule to deal with and them going to classes versus in professional sports. You know, it is a bottom line space and you, you know, you have that that one goal like this person needs to perform at the highest level and, and be healthy and do their job. You know, so I, I like that about pro sports for sure. Um, you know, like we were talking about before we uh, before we got on here that. You know, I miss a lot of the of what college SNC was. Um, you know, of course, every space has their positive and negative. So, but what I respect in the professional, uh, or what what I appreciate, I think, in the professional space is that bottom line nature is to say, hey, this is a clear goal that we have, and this person's job is to make sure that this happens with with no with well, you know, they have distractions, but with minimal distractions. Oh, right on. So. One of the things I, that I think I hear a lot or you hear a lot with the pro level is is really like the, the role of like maximal strength, barbell work, actual strength work, like like hard training, what we would consider hard training, right, compared to on the college level. Um, and the perception that a lot of high-level athletes have uh, of what training is uh, when you get them. And a, a lot of them having jumped right to the pros, right, from a younger age and maybe their training, their training age is less in terms of um, – the world of the weight room and those types of things. So what's your, what's your, your give and take on how you do barbell training in your program with your guys? Uh, it, it, you know, it's the, the cliche, it's another tool. Uh, I'll, I'll first say that. And, and it, that's the, you know, simply the way I look at it. And, you know, uh, and, and this is the first time, you know, again, before we got on here, first time that we have talked and, and I know you said, you, we, you know, you can dive into some weird spaces when it comes to S&C. And, and I think I'll answer like this question is similarly to say, and I've used this analogy before, but like, you know, I, I'm with you that the, the loading is the piece in, in, I think, basketball and especially in the NBA that that is the, the thing that is the differentiator uh, to making a change, I think, or not. So what I mean by that is, is there is belief in intensely loading somebody. Now, why, why, of course, you know, because this is sort of a societal norm in SNC that we go to the barbell to say, okay, that's your indicator of the strong exercise or, you know, the, uh, the machismo sort of exercise is using the barbells or the dumbbells to load an athlete, to load a player, you know, and, you know, I've used the analogy of like, you know, what if back in the day when we discovered strength and conditioning and training, somebody, you know, pulled rubber bands off of a tree and realized that, hey, some of these rubber bands are harder and some of these are lighter. And if I pull on them, I get stronger and bigger muscles. Then we would be saying that bands were the thing like that was the, you know, sort of, oh, this is the old school, you know, way to train. And this is this is how you do things. And like, you know, there's a similar vibe now, thankfully, having perspective you know, looking at this person in front of me and saying, hey, you know, my job as a strength and conditioning coach is to understand how to put you in good trainable positions that maximizes the good and minimizes the bad. 
And whatever way I can do that to load you at the intensity that I know I need to load you at, there's no doubt. Like we're, we need to subject you to a, a level of intensity, you know, from a loading standpoint to make an actual change. And we respect that. Uh, but we also respect that I need to know what a good position for you is what that looks like just in general. So, you know, hopefully you went to school to be a, a strength coach and you know some things. Uh, and and then like, you know, from there, what is your adaptation you're seeking, man? It's like, you know, hey man, is do you barbell back squat or you, do you do uh, Olympic weightlifting or whatever? It's like, man, I haven't thought that way in, you know, five years where it was like, I just, I'm doing the thing that gets me to the goal that we, that we believe is gonna make this person better at their sport or perform at the highest level, you know? So. You know, I'll, I'll I'll spin that back to the to the question to say, you know, where where does that fit in? And, and I, I I'll answer I guess more saying where where loading fits in, and it's a big part of it when it comes to the weight room. You know, we know that being subjected to uh, this external resistance and and working in all these different planes and being strong and and stable is, is something that you know in basketball can can be you know something that can reduce the the chance that you'll you'll experience an injury and you know I think we know those things and we respect that that S and C uh, is a foundational part of basketball and and trap you know if, if you look in a weight room you know a, a trap bar deadlift a hack squat. Uh, things that we do on machines, isolated, you know, more leg extension machines or calf raises and things like that, because we're looking at the sport and we're saying, what is the sport telling us that we need to do? And you may say, oh man, what's that dude doing on a, you know, a calf raise machine or a leg extension machine, man, that's not functional. It's like, well, I, you know, I mean, we're looking at the sport and we're saying that this is a sport that necessitates a high stress uh, or subjects you to a, a high tendon stress. And we know that you know, isolating maybe some things at the quad or some or the calf, uh, doing some isometric work will lead to a, uh, you know, more uh, healthy tissue and, and some tendons. And like, that is something that has been been shown. And it's like, the sport is telling us that we need to buffer this stress. And how are we going to do it? Okay, well, enter it, you know, this is something that, you know, in the past few years, just being involved with basketball, ask me five years ago, and, and I'm not purchasing a leg extension machine and a seated calf raise. But now we are because it's just like, man, this is bottom line, man. Like this is this is me doing my job because this is what has been shown to help this population, you know. So, um, you know, that's, you know, loading, loading for sure, for sure fits in. And, and you know, barbell, barbell work, a lot of barbell work is not on our guys is, uh, you know, a lot of our guys is trainable menus right now. But that's not to say that it won't be at some point, you know, for sure. That's awesome. You you caught me just as I was writing notes about the leg extension and the calf raise because I, I do think <laughs> I, I yeah one of the things that I like have taken on completely. I think I've always kind of felt that way, but I heard um it was funny. It was actually I heard Andrew WK who said this the musician where it's like you want to explore the opposite of what you believe sometimes. Like and if you're you're so hung up on oh you know oh god like machines suck and they would never work. Like I don't know. Well, why don't you explore someone who actually uses them and kind of see what the results are, you know, and like, 100%. why don't you look at, you know, and, or, or vice versa or any training, or why don't you, you know, if you hate balance training, look at someone who's training athletes using this and has a clear goal and intention for it. And well, and that's yeah. man, that a hundred percent too. And, and thankfully, you know, to that point real quick is like, I, I'm so thankful that I've had worked with people and credit to them and that, that have had that are super intelligent and have had a uh, great perspective. Like, you know, the things like unstable surface or balance work that we kind of, you know, poo poo a little bit as, as like cool, smart S and functional S and C's. And there are things there are, are, you know, there's research that has been done and there are standards and maybe the physical therapy world that man don't like I can't pretend to, to be so well versed and so knowledgeable that somebody that is working, uh, progressing from a stable to an unstable surface and challenging them in multi in different planes is not maybe something that we should be doing for basketball players who are subjected to high stresses around their ankle. You know, is this, do we take it to the full other side of the spectrum and, and they just train on unstable surfaces? Probably not, but it's like, doesn't that make sense? You know, for, for if you're letting the sport tell you like, hey, that maybe this consistent work would make a more robust ankle wouldn't that make sense for a basketball player, you know? So like a lot of that stuff really circles back around once you have perspective and, and, and hopefully some intelligent people around you to say like, 
oh yeah, yeah, no, you're on the right track or no, it's like, oh, you're, you're a dumbass, and you know, that actually isn't good, you know, so uh, happy medium, I guess. Yeah, I think a lot of it is really in the subtleties too, because it's like, if you look at things as totally black and white, you could say the typical straw man argument is balancing on a boosty ball doing, you know, hula hooping, where we just take something that's totally right. unrealistic. And I mean, I, I finally started to throw away some of my predispositions this past year and getting into like just work on PVC rolling pipes. And it's like one something Marv Marinovich said, like your body will go till it finds that point where it finds balance in the muscles and can fire in the way the body picks the strategy. Like when you're locked in completely, mm-hmm. the weights kind of the weights in the position is going to pick that strategy for you. So and you oh, look yeah. at how like a basketball player has to find a position in, in space for their foot to optimally hit the ground to redirect to absorb force to to you know cross somebody over or whatever or any sport and and it's like the more it's it's certainly made sense to me more and i've seen reap some good benefits of that and then i'm looking forward to doing more of that myself but yeah it's 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 definitely um yeah. anyways I'm, I'm glad you brought that up with the physical therapist too and then the stable sure. to unstable and, and all that i think it's just i think it's really powerful stuff for sure for sure uh, and I wanted to actually, I, I love that anecdote too. You, you said about like, well, if culturally, like, and right, well, like, where does everything start? Like, obviously, like, you know, our culture of strength is wrapped around barbells and dumbbells and these things. And like, yeah, what if it was rubber bands? You know, what if that was, sure. yeah. the way, what if instead of bragging about how much you bench pressed, oh man, I, I put on, you know, I bench pressed this black band or whatever. Like, that's now yeah, the yeah, measure yeah. of strength. Or, I mean, right? 100%. Like, that's, and, you know, I think, you know, and there's more and more of this now, but this it, it's all societal norms, right? Like breaking through these societal norms. And, and if you are uncomfy in that space, then it's hard to progress. But if you're comfortable there and you can kind of block out the whole like, wait, what are you doing, man? It's like, you know, you can you can do some things. And if I like being in that space because it provides that perspective, it's like, Hey, what if this was something else, you know, and like, what would that then look like? It would still be principle based and we would still be trying to achieve the same goals. So then why am I wrapped into to barbell training in a rack or a platform, you know? So and that piece has just never made sense to me, which thankfully it like lends itself to an open mind to explore other spaces. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. No, it's really cool, Chris. Um, I you talked to about okay, so your menu. Uh, so I want to get into this. You got, I don't even know if it's a question, right? But you talk about your menu, barbells, and what barbells is really not on your menu. But you talk sure. about the leg extension and the seated calf raise, and I, I, it's funny because you would ask me this again five years ago, and I haven't even, I don't have a seated calf raise in anywhere that I can use or train athletes with, but. The more I look at just sporting positions and things, I'm like, you know what? This seems cool. And Dr. Yesis was into it. And like, it mm-hmm. seems like it has. So, can you explain actually a little bit about what you're. Is that like tendon, tendinopathy stuff? Like, how are you. What are you getting out of those things? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at, uh, again, the sport to say, what can we do for, for guys that are presenting with these pathologies? And again, like, I'll, I'll speak in broad strokes here because I'll respect the fact. That, it, you know, as as a as just an SNC, I'm not going to be able to speak as eloquently as our physical therapist. But, uh, it, you know, be, the implement the the sitting down and saying, you know what, man, like, you know, we're, we're looking at this sport and we're looking at these pathologies and what these guys are complaining about. And, you know, we are seeing these tenderness issues and pathologies. And it's like, okay, what's out there to that is that is talking about how to how to help this out, you know, and, and buffer this from an SNC perspective. And, you know, as I think a lot of things are, are, you know, as we're going down the line, we're understanding that the dirty little secret is consistent loading of, of tissues in 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 the right way. And, you know, some of the research that's out there talking about, uh, you know, doing things for doing isometric holds for a certain amount of time. A certain amount of volume at at, a, at enough intensity uh, is showing that you know you are buffering that load, hopefully to the tendon, and and some some healthier tissue is being formed around it, or you're mitigating some of uh, any of the detrimental things that are happening at the tendon. So, uh, you know, it's like okay, well, where are we seeing that? We're seeing that at the knee. We're seeing that you know uh, Achilles tendon issues, uh, and so you know where can we throw an ISO hold and and roll through that? Is is you know calf ray, uh, different, different calf raise variations or, or something like a leg extension or a single leg squat hold or a wall supported squat hold bilateral, something like that. 
um, where we're challenging the quad. So different different things for sure. I don't want to you know sit here and say it's like oh we're we're a calf raise leg extension uh, program here, but mm-hmm. um, you know it, again it's just looking at the thing that 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 works in our population. Hopefully, yeah. I just had this funny thought of like. You know, people are going to peg you. Chris Chase's pyramid of performance, the bottom, his leg <laughs> extensions and calf I hope, raises. I, hope so. I would, I would be down for that fun ride. Take me on that ride, audience, please. Fill <laughs> me, me as the leg extension and calf raise guy. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't wait for that. We need one of those guys. We need one of those guys in the industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. I'll turn, I'll turn that into a gym somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes, no doubt. That's, that's the only thing. You just walk in and that's it. Well, then you know, you've seen those, <laughs> those videos right on YouTube where it's like people turn at something into something it's not. Or maybe it's that like the Domizadi yeah. where it's just like everything thing the arm curl is an arm curl yeah, machine yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah. yeah oh man that'd be fun yeah i'm sure it, yeah creative juices would be flowing big time even just a couple <laughs> workouts like that i think lots of work could get done so uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, uh so anyways i want to dig into your menu a little bit without being i guess sure. too um I, I, too black and white or it's just like oh tell me what you do and then and and how many sets and reps and whatever so but, uh, right, but right. this is kind of maybe a little bit in sync with another question i had for you but that's um like like the health performance spectrum right like um how much of your menu is dedicated to like health like you're talking tendon health continuous loading for for the Mm -hmm. uh, healthiness of the tissue uh versus i guess we would say performance uh strength if a guy needs to pack on a little bit of mass or something like that or or the things that we would uh, kpis we would associate with being and i guess you know most of the guys you get are probably really good at those kpis anyways right like uh, could you break down a little bit of the menu in terms of like the health side of things and then things on the performance side or, or what posi- to be in a yeah. good position in sport? I, I hope I'm not complicating this. Anyways, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling. I'm, I'm rolling with you, man. Uh, no, I think um, the, uh, you know, uh, again, listening to the question takes me to, to a conversation we've, we've definitely had before. I think early on when I when I started in the NBA and that was uh, a quick realization that like, this is, you know, sport is not health and wellness, man. Like, especially when you get into pro sports and, you know, this is, this is a job, this is something that you're providing, you know, you're providing for your family and you're trying to do it for as long as possible. Uh, and you are really sacrificing some, some health because, you know, our bodies aren't meant to be, you know, playing NBA basketball for 82 plus games a year and traveling and doing all that sort of stuff that we know is part of pro sports. And, uh, so you know, it's an interesting question. And we've had so many conversations early on. It's like, what is our job? Like, is is our job just to sort of buffer load? You know, is that is that like our main thing? You know, it's like, is our job kind of acute to chronic where we're just like, you know, we're, we're, we're making sure that, you know, we, we are, you know, there are no load spikes in what you do. It's just like this day-to-day monitoring and making sure that, you know, there's nothing egregious happening, you know, one way or the other, you're not underloaded or overloaded. It's like, is that our job? You know? So, uh, it's, it, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I think, you know, people are lying to you if they say that they do. Uh, but again, to spin it back to the question, it's like, you know, I, I would hope that, you know, I hope everything is performance. I hope everything is, is, well, you know, I hope, I hope most is performance. I hope, you know, all of it, of course, health and wellness, but like, I've said before, you know, everything has good and bad consequences. So, you know, if, if we're chasing, for instance, you know, one of the, one of the things we chase is, is maybe a four jump, you know, for a player and we're, we're looking at, you know, we're chasing strategy first and foremost, how you're doing that, how you're doing that repeated jump, that reactive jump. Um, and we're chasing that first and, and we're measuring performance on, on a just jump mat and, and all that sort of stuff. And we're looking at, at that stuff as time goes along. And I use this as an example to say, yeah, man, I mean, jumping is a stressful thing, you know, and and I am saying that I believe going down this road is a worthwhile road because I know it's a stressor because it's going to lead to to performance changes for that person in a positive direction. Um, But in the back of my mind, for sure, I'm always realizing that I'm respecting the fact that it is a stressor to that person. So because of that, it's, you know, I have to respect, again, going back to understanding how to put this person in good positions. What does a good reactive jump look like? You know, repeating uh, a repeated, you know, a four jump, like what does good look like for that? You know, and shit, man, like if, if I get him to that point, then that's not as much stress on his body. So let's chase that, you know, let's go there. But I know I need to go there. So if, if you're looking around the weight room and you're saying, you know, uh, or, or you're seeing people that don't really look good in their movements, 
it's like, well, I don't think any of that is performance or health and wellness. You know, I think that's more negative than positive. But I hope if you look around and you see, it's like, okay, I, the thing that, you know, and, and, and I, I beat this to death with handle supported stuff, but like the thing that works for you is handle supported safety bar squat. And that's the thing that allows you to get into just some sort of trainable position. And so you say, okay, that dude looks like that's a good squat right there. And they're, you know, they've got 250 pounds on the bar. It's like, okay, I think that's performance because there's more, I think, good than bad there. Where, where it flips for me is if there's more bad than good. And I think there's more bad than good if I said, hey, man, throw that barbell, put 200 pounds on that barbell and just put it on your back and just start down, down and up. I, I think most of the time, again, this is the population I work with, like freakish, these aliens, it's like you can't level change with a barbell on your back with 200 pounds on it. There's more bad than good. So that's not performance, you know? So that's a whole nother conversation about, about the good positions and, and understanding how to put people in those positions, uh, you know, for sure. Um, but, but I think that, I think then that turns into more health and health and wellness and, and positive performance. Um, then if, then if you're kind of just messing around and, and you're not doing these things intelligently, uh, novel concept, but you know, we know we don't see much of that. Yeah. I, I as you were talking, I kind of, uh, I love what you're talking about with the safety bar scope, the handles too. I, it brings me to, um, it was an anecdote. I think Scott Sawwasser who's been on the podcast before. And I think it was him who was talking, uh, was talking about Aaron Gordon. Um, I think it was Aaron Gordon, but like his deep squat was terrible, but you put him on a hex bar and he's fine because like, he's just sure. not meant, I, I, mean, I can't imagine, you know, how many, I mean, you see the videos every now and then, you know, oh, look at my, uh, tall player deep squatting and that's cool. But like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but I mean, how many of those players are truly, like meant to do that in the sense of how worthwhile is it to get them there with that much weight on their back when how much easier would it be just to do what you're saying you know just you can have this awesome position you can eliminate probably the co-contractions around this the pelvis and spine and all the compensations if you just say here's some handles and you go for it and then the probably the confidence in the strength coach too because it's not hard or as injurious and those types of things yeah, and that's where, that's where we come back to societal norms where it's like, man, you know, if you can get over the fact that, you know, this isn't about you and you could just say, hey, man, this is what works for you. Uh, it may look a little different. You might not have been exposed to this before, might not have been in the football program, like whatever. It's like, but it's OK, man, like we don't have to power clean from the floor. Like we don't have to, you know, do barbell bench press like we have a, a horizontal pressing machine or whatever, mm -hmm. like. And it's like, not that I'm against bench pressing. Cause again, like, okay, I have, you know, you have to have a caveat after everything you say, but it's like, man, if you saw somebody in, in, you know, a weight room that, that, you know, I was a part of doing some sort of like horizontal chest press, it's like some unilateral press. It's like, well, maybe, maybe I'm looking at uh, thorax rotation and maybe I'm PRIing this. Maybe I'm reaching with my right and finding left abs and doing an ISO hold. It's like, you know, it's just using the thing that allows me to get the thing that I need to get, man. And it's like, maybe after that, the dude is barbell bench pressing, you know, but it's like, it's just, you're using, you're using the tool, man. And I think once you get past this, like take that from the societal norms and dive in, like really intimately learn, it can't be a superficial level of learning, but really dive into some other stuff. And I think you come out on top, man. Like you start doing some, doing some things that are more about the person in front of you than your own program, I think. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally it is that is the person in front of you rather than your own program because i think a lot of people get into the industry because they like you know they like lifting weights and they like and they probably were had a good deep squad and bench press and those types of things and so it's like once you get past that you know idea to project all that stuff and even me i mean i've had to get over the hump of i i was a high jumper and triple jumper and it's like i love plyometrics all my athletes should do all these plyometrics and it's like slowly <laughs> yep. but surely my the plyometric load has been decreasing for a lot of these and it's more about the essence of what they're actually doing with a little bit less intensive work and right. I, it's um you know one of the things i was thinking of too is like yeah i mentioned like the position but like you know, you're talking about the position and the four jump it almost makes me think of like this goal of having a great position eliminating compensations and bad movement patterns and then getting athletes a little bit more elastic being able to take advantage of the elastic system and not you know put as much muscle in everything like that's really the four jump right there is you know can you get into a great elastic position each hop instead of just you know over bending your knees and over you know over using mm -hmm. your quads and all that so as how you talked about the forge and what you're doing that that's kind of what struck a chord with me for sure yeah uh yep. so 
Oh, sorry. If you were going to expand a little bit on oh, that. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, cool. Well, I, I love that stuff, man. Um, so I want to talk. You mentioned you hit on PRI. I'd love to get into that. So you already talked about it a little bit, like just utilizing PRI in the program. I know the PRI stuff can just be like the ultimate rabbit hole, right? I'm sure you know that very well. And sure. so how do you mitigate that rabbit hole? Like at what point are, are you, you know, going to put people on the wall or have them start utilizing some of the balancing work? And at what point do you just leave it alone? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's such a, it's such a fun, uh, rabbit hole to dive into, uh, because it is, uh, part of it or the main part is probably because, you know, everything it's like the, the comic book quote that, you know, you, you, uh, die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. And that's what happens with every, you know, three letter acronym in our, in our, uh, space, you know, so, and our PRI is no different and, which is fine. And, and, you know, that has, uh, FMS has had the same thing, FRC, you know, the list goes on and on, I guess. And, you know, thankfully now it's just that it's it's so much more about perspective and understanding and, uh, you know, there's, you know, mistakes that have been made, I think, in the past for sure by myself and, you know, uh, you know, all of us. Right. Where you dive into stuff and it's like, man, now, thankfully, I've been enough like I've, pol I've been policed by enough great, intelligent people um, that I've been able to maybe corral something into to something that's practical and worthwhile. Um, in my application of, of whatever my philosophy is now. So, um, you know, I think the, the PRI space is, is something that has served me well, thankfully. And man, like, let's, let's be, you know, let, let's be all on one page here where, where, um, you know, I'm not trying to be polarizing where it's like, man, it could have been something else. Like it could have easily been like, I could have gone down an FRC track with great practitioners and ended up in the same place. You know, it's like, and that's the silly part now, thinking back on like, well, this is this and that is that and bad and good and using those terms. It's like, man, I, you know, I have no clue. And hopefully I respect that more. So, you know, needless to say, like, well, you know, it kind of piggybacking, uh, you know, uh, or coming back to the PRI piece where I had practitioners around me that were help, were very helpful in, in kind of digesting or helping me digest like some of the things that PRI was talking about. And it led to people looking better in the weight room when it when it came to lifting weights, man, I think we were starting to put people or we were putting people in way better positions and they were feeling sore and feeling things that they were supposed to feel. And it's like, again, that could have been if I dove into a different school of thought, come out the same way, because before PRI, I'm not coaching a, a rib cage or a pelvis the way I coach it now. I'm not coaching interaction between feet and the ground the way I coach it now I'm not coaching head position I'm not coaching uh you know uh you know scapula on rib cage position the way I coach it now and I have to give props where props is due that came from that school of thought and you know so it, it's then you know the question is okay like where does that fit into training you know I don't think you know PRI is synonymous with like you know find and feel and, and breathe like let's you know again put it in perspective you know one thing one thing that PRI has done for me is brought me back to kind of the yoga practice and having now more understanding of putting people in good positions now realizing how much yoga has respect for that as well uh, in terms of find and feel sensory and motor skill and really controlling these positions breathing over those positions blah 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 all the things we know about yoga which is obviously you know the the stereotypes of something that is that is um you know flexibility and mobility based i think are, are ridiculous but you know similar in pri where you know if i'm doing a like a you know a wall supported squat is that pri well no it's i don't think so but am i cueing things that i learned from pri yeah. Um, well, but that's just respect for something that I learned in school or should have learned in school, anatomy and physiology, biomechanics and those classes that should have taught me about these like rib cage mechanics and positioning of a rib cage to maybe take stress off somebody's back or activate some ab musculature that you're going for or, you know, talking to me about di different pelvis positions and understanding how to get somebody out of a bad uh, position. Man, I, I, I didn't have that before. PRI came around. So, you know, now putting somebody in a wall supported squat and then maybe adding some resistance and doing a like doing a, you know, reps with a foam roller behind their back, man, we can make that very, very hard. And most of that comes from the cues and things that I've learned from that space. So having nothing to do with like, 
getting somebody a balloon and having them do correctives. It really is more about the, the positions that I'm already, well, I'll say learning more about the right or more trainable positions to put people in and when they're in those positions, how to make adjustments and how to kind of allow them to get in and out of those positions. Um, you know that, and that's just S and C man. Like, you know, that I, I should have learned that in school. Like that, that should have nothing to do with like a school of thought, you know? So, um, because I don't really uh, like as a, as a strength coach, I'm not applying sort of the school of thought PRI stuff because, you know, I'm letting a physical therapist advise me on maybe a, on correctives and things that we may be doing to make that sort of change. Uh, but my S and C performance work is, is very much just respecting position. And, and again, like I, I just got a lot of knowledge from, from that, from PRI. Yeah. It's amazing how powerful position is, but how I don't, you know, how few programs, if any, probably even cover that, you know, or give you the tools to look at that stuff just because it's hundred percent, hundred percent. And I mean, Hey, like there's the perspective piece too, of saying like, you know, I don't want to make it sound because some, there, there may be that, you know, there, and I'm always conscious of this. It's like, you know, the people like a small percentage of the people listening are going to take this maybe the right way, you know, or the way I'm intending it. And it's like, when it comes to when it comes to PRI, you may be saying, oh, well, this dude might, must like squat with a turtle shell back or something. And it's like, well, no, man, like, first of all, that's not PRI to me. Second of all, like we're understanding that this is performance as well. So I understand that, again, everything good and bad consequences, like when we're in, in you know, you talked about the four jump before. It's like if we're four jumping, am I four jumping with a rib cage position that is neutral? Like, no, but I'm realizing that. Some of this just needs to be done because this person is choosing to play a sport that is a very stressful thing for them. And in order for them to survive injury free, we have to mitigate the load from uh, repeated jumps off of a hard floor. And it's like, you know, that's that that just has to be done from a performance perspective. So if I'm working on the velocity of somebody producing force, man, you know, hopefully that position is trainable enough to get the adaptation that we want to get with minimal consequences. But man, don't, don't think that you're, you know, you're seeing, uh, you know, a velocity based, you know, uh, uh, supine 90, 90 balloon bridge, you know, like that's not what we're doing here. So, um, so it's, it's, man, it's a place it's, I mean, respect the, respect the hell out of it, but I respect the hell out of like all schools of thought, you know, because they're all really bringing something to the table. You're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster. Yeah, some of some of the people in my circle talk about like going full Bosch, like full Franz Bosch, like full water bags mm-hmm. and full single leg cleans all that stuff. It's almost <laughs> like full PRI is when you is, yeah. you're full PRI when you bust the balloon out. Like I feel like that's like this threshold. Like until yeah. you bust the balloon out, you haven't like fully crossed the threshold. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but again, and but again, but that's fine too, man. There's there's intelligent people that are listening to this, or that are that are going to say and think it's like, yeah, man, I use a balloon for something that's really good and trainable and that has an effect on somebody. But let's just re- just just remember perspective, perspective, perspective. It's like there, the whole team is not doing it. I'm yeah, not again. Yeah. This is not for me. Um, this is a this is a test retest world we're in like mm-hmm. you know the the reports are going to people that are saying oh well you know there's there's some the big time stuff involved and it's like if I'm doing something I best I better be making a change you know and I better be making some sort of measurable change and so I'm not just gonna hang around and say oh we're just gonna do a bunch of PRI stuff and that's what we're gonna keep rolling with without it really having an effect and we know that we have to do way more than that to have an actual effect on these guys. Yeah, it, it definitely takes a while when they have like the pathologies and stuff. I was going to ask you with the four jump. So you use the four jump a lot. You were talking a little bit about um, just with the PRI. I was wondering, do you see anything that shows up in the four jump that's a result of the pathology or that is corrects itself at all and as a result of improving position through the PRI work? Yeah, I mean, well, I think, you know, again, that, that it, we move away from from PRI world and just say, OK, just in general, you know, what 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 do we do or what levers do we pull when we get somebody in here? And, you know, what do we have at our disposal to learn uh, about this athlete? And of course, this this person is, you know, getting looked at from a structural standpoint in understanding, you know, where these limitations are. And and we know a common presentation maybe of a basketball athlete or a volleyball athlete or baseball or whatever um, because of what they have to do. Uh, so you kind of know going in, uh, but you want some things highlighted more objectively for sure to lead you on the, on the right path, you know? So, uh, you know, I think that 
at once you start looking at that, like again, having nothing to do with PRI, and then I, you know, we take a ton of video, for instance, like you know, we're, we're videoing, videoing all our testing, our jump, four jump, four hop testing, and things like that. Uh, and you start to put some pieces together, but you know, if you, if you having, having an athlete that is presenting, uh, you know, uh, a ton of ankle stiffness, so limited in dorsiflexion, which most of these dudes are, do present with, um, you know, and then uh, looking at the consequences of that maybe over time and maybe some consequences have been whatever, as we know, upstream or, or, or downstream that, you know, some hip issues or some knee uh, issues that are going on with this person, you know, all these common things that these basketball players present with. Um, I don't know if I would make then the leap to say that's showing up in their four jump. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, you look at something and you say like, man, like look at how this dude interacts with the ground uh, because they're lacking, you know, stiffness or tone like in their Achilles, you know, or something like they interact with their ground on their toe. They have no stiffness or no control. So their heel collapses to the ground. And it's like, oh, what did we see on the table? And it's like, OK, well. How did what what did their ankle feel like, you know, physical therapist and, and let me know, you know, are, are you seeing this on the video? Like, as do you believe that's a consequence of that? You know, and I think that's that integrated approach that um, that allows us maybe to do that. Um, so uh, I think I think yes and no to, to answer that question. But it's certainly something that that we're trying to do a better and better job of because we know it's like like I mentioned before, you know, you know, or maybe talking about like the bridge between S and C work and the sport of basketball. It's like the PRI conversation kind of jumps in here too, where it's like, man, you know, I need to, I need to chase a four jump knowing that maybe it'll never, like maybe it'll never change, but we need, we have a necessity of you getting off the ground quickly. I think improving strategy will allow that to happen and mitigating some things. But at the end of the day, man, like we kind of got to do it because it's close to your sport. And if you sprain an ankle and we get you, we, we need to have objective information before you go back into this, in, into play. It's like, that's a great tool to be able to do it. Cause we know that's what you're going to be exposed to in the game, you know? So um, so I don't, I mean, that opens up, I think another conversation with, with testing and what's relevant in this space. Uh, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, again, like we're wrapping a bunch of conversations and questions together. Uh, we realize that it's a performance space and maybe the structural assessment allows us, you know, to have some knowledge here. Um, but we also have to know that this person has to perform and, and get on the court and, and do their thing, man. Yeah. Well, right on. So in terms of like the dynamic testing, cause that's kind of a, a question that I had for you. Well, l let me proceed with this before I get to that. Cause I want to, I want to ask you a little more about the four jump and the tests and kind of like dynamic mm -hmm. performance markers. But uh, you talked a little bit about the, the PRI work, uh, activating the muscles, not being, you know, turtle backs. Like I think I've seen some coaches where it is like get to this almost turtle back point. And, and then, you know, knowing me, I'm like, well, I have to try that. And then well, my back, <laughs> my back hurts. Like, I mean, it's almost like just stuff was stretched, you know, it's like crazy. Um, yeah. But anyways, uh, I was going to ask you, so you, I think some people who've listened to this have heard like, you know, I, I did a podcast with Justin Moore talking about how to activate your hamstrings more through squats and deadlifts. But could you explain uh, the wall squat? I, I think I know what you're talking about with the roller, but could you explain that a little bit and then how you're progressing that into squatting and what you're looking for? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, the, uh, what we'll get through and I'm actually just clicking through on my, my own computer, uh, into that menu. Um, but, uh, the wall supported squat starts with an isometric hole. Uh, and that's something where putting, you know, again, that's, I think something where we can train somebody pretty quickly off the bat or make that trainable pretty quickly. If you have that reference to the wall, um, because we can manipulate your stance, we can put your feet further out in front of you and hopefully not too far. Um, um, and then your feet could be closer to the wall. So, you know, the feet uh, kind of tracking out in front of you, uh, I'm starting somebody there to say, man, you are stiff as hell. You know, ankle mobility is limited. You, you like this is this is going to be a tough road. We just need you to throw you into a position where you feel the right things. And sometimes that means, you know, we're we're showing ankles directly under knees. Um, and we're trying to progress you to show some, uh, show me some dorsiflexion with a grounded heel or grounded foot, mm -hmm. uh, and moving towards that. And then up against the wall, what are we coaching? We're, we're speaking to them because before this they have done, you know, a belly lift, they have understood how to manipulate their spine. 
Um, so we'll use those cues from maybe a bear hold or a belly lift up against the wall to talk to them about manipulating their pelvis or their rib cage into a position that we would say is, you know, quote unquote, more neutral um, or more beneficial to target than what, you know, what we want to target. So uh, we'll, we'll have them reach their hands out in front of them, hold that position at a depth that they can do, you know, uh, without being too overwhelmed as, as this is kind of the first exposure. Uh, cueing a ton about feet, um, cueing a ton about, you know, they're a forceful push downward into the ground. Um, again, this is, you know, this isn't your, you know, your, your grandpa's, uh, wall, uh, wall sit here where it's like, shoot your legs out of you and you just push your, um, push your feet back against the wall, you know, where you kind of could just rest there, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, how proactive, how active we are in that, in that, uh, in that hold. Then we'll go into uh, putting the foam roller behind the back um, and we'll drop down into the ISO same position. Like I'll cue them. Hey, remember how you felt on the wall in the position of your torso? Do the same thing with this foam roller. And, and you know, you could use a, you know, stability ball. This is the age old, you know, uh, uh, exercise like Jane Fonda type exercise, right? Like foam roller behind the back is what, you know, we use mostly. And then, you know, you turn that into eventually just a goblet squat, wall supported goblet squat where you're just rolling up and down there. So you know, that goes from the, you know, the first, the first exposure, um, you know, with the foam roller is, is what we'll do oscillations out of the bottom. So I'll put you in the bottom position and to direct sort of teaching you to direct force where we want to directly upward. Uh, we'll just move up, you know, 20 to 30 degrees, uh, and hold there for two seconds, come back down, hold for two. And again, that's just learning, Hey, direction of force in this, is downward upward it's not shoot your hips back and turning into you know sort of a horizontal almost squat or you know a powerlifting squat so that's not what we're going for so that's that's the reason for that we'll go into some tempo work like just use the three down three up tempo um once we go once we uh jump away from the oscillations and that's usually a body weight or just a small kettlebell um and then then we're saying okay like we've checked all those progression boxes let's hit you with, you know, a goblet kettlebell, uh, full squat, you know, using the wall, wall supported squat. So, um, again, hopefully they have kind of learned that strategy by jumping or going through those gates. Um, by the time then we get to that goblet squat, it's like, okay, then we're nailing this, you're nailing the concepts here. And from a structural standpoint, you've got, you know, enough, enough hip or internal rotation and ankle dorsiflexion to probably load up a squat. I'll get you off the wall and we'll start, you know, maybe we can get a supported safety bar squat going and dive into that progression. Uh, you know, I know, you know, just in speaking in generalities, and this is something we'll have soon, hopefully is a, is a hack squat machine, for instance, is something I like to go from the wall then to a hack squat machine and load, you know, load the hell out of a hack squat machine, but you still have like the same reference. So it's a kind of a similar, you know, similar thing to go from the wall to the hack squat. Uh, and again, like if, if, if we, if we can roll with the supported safety bar that opens up a lot of stuff on the menu. So, um, you know, again, we, but we certainly believe in, in, I think, you know, I, I will speak for myself. I believe in loading, you know, uh, at, at the level that it needs to be with that high intensity. And, you know, it, it just needs to be done in a trainable way. But each of those steps, think about it, It's like, man, I'm trying to hit you with an 80 pound dumbbell on a, on a wall supported goblet squat. It's like, I just want to do the thing that I could load you the most in at that time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if I support you on a wall, I know I can load you intensely as intensely as I can in a trainable way right now. So it's like, yeah, isn't that the old school way of strength and conditioning? It's like, that's what I'm trying to do, man. But it's like, I'm just putting him on a wall because that's the only way he's going to feel his legs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's the only way he's not going to feel his back. So uh, so I hope, I don't know if that had kind of explained the wall squat. No, it, it did. It, it's, and I like what you said to the old school way, which I, to me is doing more with less weight. If you can do more with less weight, you're usually winning. And I think there has to right. be a particular, um, abandonment of the athlete's ego to, to buy into that. But, uh, sure. Sure. What, what I was going to ask you too, just with that wall squat, and I'll post a video in the show notes. I'm sure I can find one uh, through the world of YouTube yep. and, and Google. Uh, but <laughs> so you talked about the feet, and then so the athletes with the athletes back on the wall or the roller or the physio ball, uh, what yep. what cues are you giving to them through the back, and then what are you giving to them through the feet? Uh, so usually like put a, put a basketball player on a wall and, and maybe what are you usually seeing? Like, you know, there's going to be space between their low back and the wall. Um, you know, a lot, again, like common presentation of, you know, a thorax and like looking at a rib cage, like, you know, they, they have a lot of these long limbs to control. 
Um, so you know you're going to have to, again, like, you know, kind of like I was saying with the, the cues in the wall squad, like cueing, you know you're going to have to go there probably to a certain extent, like cueing internal uh, uh, ribcage, internal rotation, again, to get them to flatten them out maybe against the wall, a posterior pelvic tilt, not to posteriorly tilt your pelvis excessively, but just to find, again, neutral. And then, hey, what do you feel like, you know, for instance, like, because, you know, of course, a player, you know, the why it's it, if I'm I'm putting you on the wall, like, what is this doing? Why are we doing this? And, you know, hey, manipulate your position here. Did you feel any stress like uh, um, being taken away from your back, for instance? That's an easy one, right? Like, you know, they're definitely going to feel probably some tension be relieved by just, um, you know, that positioning. And there's that by there's maybe that my inroad to speak to them about that. Why? And then kind of where we're going, like with a squat, it's like, hey, we're holding a body weight position for this reason. Like right now we're just getting concepts and see what that did for you. Hey, do you feel your legs more? Do you feel your quads? Oh, yeah, 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 I do. Do you feel anything in your back? Oh, no, I don't. Hey, have you ever felt like, you know, low back soreness when you squat? Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like what squat did you do? And, and we build that story. Um, so maybe through, you know, again, the back, you know, we're leading to a better spine position by coaching the pelvis and the rib cage. And, you know, maybe, maybe for some guys who have a hard time getting it and, and they are, you know, so what is your audible if that doesn't work? Um, I love the band, like a really thin band around the back. And, and if you understand, like if you get yourself reaching, a lot of times that will allow that, that just RNT sort of feedback to then retract a rib cage. Um, and understand like, Hey, you know, I'll try to cue exhales and, and different things to, uh, like, Hey, reach and exhale, but it's a very hard concept to get it first. So the band I think gives that feedback to understand what we're trying to get out of that. Like we're trying to get rib cage retraction. We're not trying to get your shoulders like rounding and shrugging, you know, which I think you'll see a lot of. So, uh, the, the feet thing is, is, you know, uh, it's funny. I had a conversation recently talking about like, how many, like how much we talk about heels, uh, like heel interaction with the ground and certainly been guilty of that and, and making good points about like, man, now I cue so more, so much more about like full foot interaction with the ground, like using that, that terminology versus just talking about your heel, because a lot of guys, you know, you go from uh, one pendulum to the other and you're the front of your feet are off the ground. And we know like there's certain things that are happening if you don't have like force distributed through your entire foot. So we're trying to, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to cue that with a downward push with uh, showing us uh, like show me some dorsiflexion because I think initially, um, you know, for instance, like they dive into the wall squat, they get up on their toes, maybe and their heels are kind of off the ground or their weight, you know, they're uh, they've translated their knees forward and their weights forward on their feet. And they're like, oh, my knee, you know, my my knees hurt, you know, oh, my knees always hurt when I go into a squat. And it's like, okay, right, like, let's let's work with this, you know, and by coaching feet and maybe giving some tactile feedback, like maybe pulling around their feet in, in different places where they're not interacting with the ground, uh, push against me, push against me. Um, hey, what do you feel now? Do you feel less in your knees or the front of your knees? Do you feel more muscle coming on? Do you feel more quads? You know, it might be a guy that we say, you know, hey, uh, move your feet close, you know, back closer to the wall. And again, they hesitate. But that's where the graded exposure comes into play. Like first set, we hold for 30 seconds and your feet are kind of, hey, man, put your feet wherever you want, wherever you feel comfortable. And then second set, it's like, hey, try to, hey, did that, do you feel quad on that? Did you feel anything else? No, no, I, you know, I was good. I was good. No knee pain, just, you know, burning at the top of my thighs. And it's like, okay, move your feet back a little bit. Still the same. Oh, yeah, still the same. And by the you know time you're done with three or four sets, you're in a, you're in a trainable squat position you know, almost if you were off the wall, you know, and that's maybe what we're looking for with obviously on the wall being a more vertical torso. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's, uh, maybe, you know, more than just the, the, you know, spine and feet, but, um, I don't know if I touched on or answered that question. You're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster. No, you did. I, I love digging into that stuff. You know, you, we do these shows, you try to hit the question list, right? But like, for me, it's like the gold is in some of the little stuff, like the foot, especially like a lot of things people don't, usually a lot of strength coaches will just leave it as push through the heel and we'll just leave it there. I think well, sure, the world sure. is get the world of strength and conditioning is definitely getting out of that, I believe. But, um, <laughs> you know, but I, it's one of those things like I, I did a podcast with Gary Ward and digging into what he's doing. It's like his you know thought is that if you have an upstream problem, like he'll use wedges in the foot to give you sensation in a part of the foot that isn't getting it. And then all of a sudden yeah. your knee pain and goes away, your hip pain goes away. Like just because all of a sudden you can press properly through your base. It's like your car, you just put air in your tire, you know, that tire that didn't have yeah. air in it before. And so 
And, and that's where, you know, we go back to the, the PRI or the, you know, part of me, uh, the, the yoga conversation as well is like, man, you know, nobody in my education or, or the SNC sort of stereotypical SNC field was talking to me about this, some of the sensory stuff, like, you know, find and feel and like really understanding how to control a position and move yourself in and out of that position with the muscles that you, that you want to use. And man, nobody like, not until I started diving into yoga, did I really like a yoga teacher was the first person to, to talk to me about like manipulating your pelvis and like talking to me about like tucking your pelvis underneath you and like all that sort of stuff. And man, you know, if you get, get by like some of the perception of fufu and like aligning your chakras and different stuff like that, it's like, man, dive into the anatomy of that. And there's some things there. Like there's some things that you could probably benefit as a strength coach from learning, you know? So it's the same thing with PRI where it's like the find and feel and sensory stuff is the stuff that has helped me in my own training the most because you're driving these global, these huge aggressive movements with things that like for me ended up causing, you know, knee, back pain, all those things that we all experience. So, uh, man, respect to it, uh, respect to how trainable it can be and the adaptations that, that can come from just good isometric holding and sort of moving slowly in and out of these, some of these movements, again, fundamental movements. I'm not saying like, Hey, just go out there and crawl around and do whatever. Like, I think I've learned where it's like hone in on the, the if we're going to be squatting with a safety bar on our back, maybe we should really have ownership of get this level change that necessitates so much complexity, you know, and that takes really working this sensory and, and sort of tempo work before diving into more loaded stuff. Oh, right on a uh, quick meathead question too, or just general simple yeah. question. Like I like to ask complicated ones. This one's very black and white. Is how much dorsiflexion are you usually uh, aiming for once they are doing that loaded squat, that safety bar squat? Uh, how much are you looking for those tibias to translate forward? Ooh, well, man, I, I, that's like, I'm going to show you a person that I'm going to show you 15 different guys that are showing 15 different, you know, angles of dorsiflexion, you know? So, and that's man. And that's the, that's the reason to, to throw out the supports and all these like supported versions of different things is to say, you know, I'm challenging you. I'm, I'm meeting you in the middle, man. I'm challenging where you, uh, where you can go right now. With, that's not causing uh, stress for you. Um, and for those guys who are really limited, that's where, again, I think a hack squat is a better play. Like, you know, guys that have so much more, so much stiffness and and a level change for them, if consequently they've, you know, it's, it's either like ankle stiffness or knee pain or whatever, and you see how they load a jump, for instance, very hip dominant, like really avoiding any sort of like anterior translation of knees or any sort of dorsiflexion maybe when they run and things like that like that dude is hesitating to to bend his knees because the rigors of basketball over time have have led to that hesitation and it's like man i just i, I know i want to load your quads man i know that would be beneficial for you um you know in, in addition to uh, all the other stuff but it's like man it, right now it's like we'll chase dorsiflexion with you man but it's like we might need to just throw you on this be, to get to get what we want to get you know because it's the easiest thing for you you know Oh, right on. No, I, I, I think that's awesome stuff. Yeah, it's, it's about the athlete, not what you like to do, you know, unless you sure. like to hack squat. Maybe you like to hack squat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. It can have its benefits. I mean, throw you on some single leg isos on a hack squat, yeah. man. That'll, you know, that's, uh, that's certainly a thing. Yeah. Oh, right on. Uh, so really quickly, last bit, and I just wanted to follow up a little bit on the four jump. But uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I know the four jump, you know, one of the questions I had was just, um, outside of just the health the health pure health spectrum of things uh, if we're looking at performance like like the four jump taking the muscle slack out quickly being able to get off the ground quickly um is there anything else that you really find yourself doing that with the sense of improving speed jump court movement ability court uh, qualitative movement ability um just uh, and shoot i probably didn't give you a lot of time could be a huge question a whole show <laughs> itself but uh, yeah, if you yeah, can yeah, give yeah. The, the nutshell version yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, you know, I know uh, more and more, you know, hopefully every year we we audit ourselves and realize, you know, what's worthwhile. And I think there's there's things that are that are definitely worthwhile in our environment um, and we should chase and, and try to improve and, and keep measuring. Um, and some things would be, you know, uh, more valuable in other environments. So maybe I'll speak in more general terms. But, you know, for sure, I, re I respect the hell out of, uh, you know, uh, that space, uh, you know, understanding how to coach, 
you know, jumps, hops, bounds, understanding uh, the, the, the stress like you talked about as a track and field athlete. Like, I, you know, I don't think we really have the respect, man. You look at track and field athletes, they look unreal uh, going through their plyometric programs. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. But, man, there's a small population of people that can do that sort of stuff uh, in, a, in a really like not that stressful way, um, you know. So, uh, you know, we certainly teach a chase strategy change and our testing jumps and hops. Uh, we're certainly looking at like force production via, uh, you know, via a force plate and, and chasing CMJ strategy. I think chasing C like, you know, and, and I'll say this about maybe a, a volleyball, uh, sport as well. Like, you know, if you're testing or you're working with volleyball players, um, I know of, you know, uh, the person I talked to that really changed the game for me with CMJ, you know, kind of chasing CMJ strategy, you know, is somebody that has worked with volleyball players and has shown some great changes with that. So, you know, we have, have been on that in programming for a long period of time and we certainly test, uh, and, and want to measure some things there. Um, you know, we are, uh, the speed part is a bit different. I think in the NBA, I don't think we've gotten there with, you know, you can talk about maybe a 10 meter sprint or a flying start or whatever. Um, and there's some maybe standards we can look at and, and totally respect that. Um, I think there's a more basketball oriented test, like not that it's going again, full Franz Bosch here, but it's like, man, they're from a speed standpoint, I think it looks more like what their fingerprint in the game looks like, you know, like what is John Wall's test look like versus, you know, uh, a post player, you know, um, or somebody that's kind of lumbering around out there. Like that's a different test, you know, and, and a lot of people like a, a linear sprint, it's like, okay, maybe you could hit me with, you know, there's some return to play situations there, but man, I think it looks more like, you know, Hey, this pick and roll, this drill that we're doing and like your performance in you know, something that we would consult with a coach with in pick and roll or whatever it is, or getting around a screen or, you know, uh, you're, you're going coast to coast and you're a point guard and you're getting around three defenders. Like, what does that look like? And are we improving that maybe? Um, but when it comes to just the training piece of all that, um, you know, diving into the speed, agility, quickness space, as we would call it, that's a huge, huge, huge part of our program. Uh, it's a huge piece, I believe, as a part of the bridge to, to really take a lot of the cueing and things we do in the weight room and provide more of a bridge to look more like what they're going to do on the basketball court. Um, so we certainly uh, teach the fundamentals all the way down to, you know, our linear speed mechanics. Uh, we're doing hard starts and soft starts. We're teaching two point staggered stance. We're understanding what, you know, what it means to accelerate out of that position and how to do do that in a trainable way. Uh, the, our lateral speed mechanics and teaching directional steps and teaching how to slide and get out of those steps with a plyo step or, you know, how we open up our hips and get into a slide and how do we take certain angles? Do we choose a crossover step? Do we choose a directional step? Uh, and I think that's the piece of just exposing you to the menu, the whole menu in the speed, agility, quickness world that you're going to see in basketball. Um, you know, our backpedal work, you know, how do we backpedal and get out of a backpedal and sprint? man, that's, that's cost some people some Achilles in the past. You know, it's like, we have to include that in our program and we have to be able to do that in a trainable way. So, you know, and that's going to start with a backward March. That's going to start with a two point staggered ISO hold. That's going to start with, you know, a March ISO hold into a sprint. Then we're, you know, uh, backpedal ISO, backpedal ISO hold into a sprint. Then it's finally our backpedal into a sprint. And it's like, those fundamental skills are, I think, are hugely because think about what we're trying to do. We're trying to bend and change levels and push yourself in different directions using, which is basketball, using a trainable strategy that's hopefully using it is, you know, there's minimal compensation there. We're loading, you know, active tissues. We're not relying on passive structures just to bounce around. When you change direction into a crossover step, you actually know how to like you actually choose to change levels and flex and dive into kind of a squat position before you go out of that position or before you change direction, man, like those are things that, uh, you know, basketball athletes floating around at six, you know, six, eight, seven feet have a tough time doing. So, you know, the things we talk about in a squat and like loading quads and referencing the ground, it's like, we try to do that. And it's like, get into your ISO hold to, to do a crossover step. And it's like, okay, you know, pushing into the ground. Remember what we talked about in the weight room when it comes to head position and rib cage position, like, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's like, you know, uh, I love how much that then translates what is done in the weight room, uh, you know, more towards basketball. And as time goes, just like any progression, as time goes along with both, 
you know, jumps, hops, bounds, and speed, agility, quickness. It's like we try to advance as far as we can, but it's still the trainable menu. It's still, you know, only going to a point with a certain person, you know, and it's a person that bounds are probably never going to be in the cards, not for a lot of basketball players, for instance, like, you know, maybe because of somebody's pathology, we don't do a lot of hard starts, um, you know, because of a, you know, uh, because of an Achilles issue and continually like a hard push off start. You know, so it, it's still the trainable menu concept, um, but we know that we need to have a healthy dose of it. And, you know, then you work with your sport coaches and you start to, you know, you add a ball or you, you know, you add reaction to your general speed stuff. Then you add a basketball and it's, you know, limited skill work and then it's reaction and we add body, you know, all that stuff is definitely a, a part of it for sure. And as, a, as an S&C, I think you got to be well versed and you got to have like man, you know, we, we got, we have as American S and C coaches, we have stuff in our bag in the weight room, but not a lot of people got stuff in their bag when it comes to speed, agility, quickness and jump and jump hop bounce, man. Like it's, it's bad. Like, and, and man, I'm telling you, I think with good, like a quality jumping, like a, if you're chasing strategy and you're real and you really know the jumps and the hops and, and, and that sort of work, uh, and you you can progress it well, man, you start changing some things for basketball players because they've never been, you know, they've never been taught this sort of stuff, like how to really load and, you know, think about a basketball player dropping into a counter movement jump or doing doing a test at the combine. I brought this up before, like watch the NBA combine and see the the um, the uh, vertical jump testing and how how bad the strategies are, like how weirdly they land, like. It's like, man, they have chosen to to jump like with the best people in the world using that strategy. It's like, man, that's crazy. So um, we could go into the whole like if you change your strategy, do they get worse thing? But we don't have time for that. But um, but yeah, for sure. Like those pieces are are are, monu- are, are huge part of parts of what we do. Yeah. Good stuff, Chris, man. I, I that that single question could literally be a whole podcast. We'd love no, 100%, to, we'd, 100%. love. Yeah, we'd love to explore every bit of it. But uh, for now, I think our our our. Time is up. So hey, thank you so much for being on, man. I really appreciate Absolutely. it and, um, and awesome stuff today. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us, guys. Appreciate you being with us, with me, on this journey of exploring the corners of our field. Not only speed and track and field and jumping, which was in many places, in many ways, where this podcast started and specialized, but just re- in reaching out to all the all the areas, the pro, high school, college, people working with youth athletes and beyond in all sports. And it's just really cool to talk with experts and people as knowledgeable as Chris. So as always, visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com. Supplies of high-end training technology, free lap timing system, K-Box, PowerDot. They have awesome stuff in their shop if you are looking for that technological edge in your training. Great blog too, so check them out. And we'll be back next week with another great guest.